0: a filmmaker whose new documentary, Gift, just opened in Toronto at the Carlton Cinema. Inspired by Lewis Hyde's book, The Gift, Creativity and the Artist in the Modern World, it's a meditation on art and how we share it, even if the nature of the gift may not immediately be apparent. Robin picked Dead Man, Jim Jarmusch's 1995 western starring Johnny Depp as an accountant named William Blake, who arrives to do business in a frontier town sometime in the 18th century, only to find himself almost immediately plunged into a hallucinatory odyssey, injured and drifting in the company of a fellow outsider— a man named Nobody, played by Gary Farmer, who has a destination in mind for both of them, sort of. Populated with wonderful character actors and pulled along by an evocative Neil Young score, Dead Man is unique within Jarmusch's own filmography, which is really saying something. We'll say it. This is someone else's movie.
1: Yeah, there's something about, you know, Jim Jarmusch makes movies that are just so spacious and kind of deadpan and open open Mm open-ended that was kind of like a radical thing for me as a young filmmaker um and dead man it just it manages to be so poetic and dreamy but also funny and kind of irreverent there's so much in it it's so smart um and so deep you know yeah it kind of captures something invisible you know it's like it's about this kind of space between the spirit world and the real world but it's also like a spoof on the western and
0: yeah, it always felt to me like it was his answer to Dances with Wolves. <laughs> like just the idea of a white man stumbling into a world he doesn't neither understands nor has any time to learn about and instead of becoming its savior the way Costner's movie envisions him uh, William Blake just kind of doesn't exist to yeah. them in a lot of ways. He's just an annoyance or a an an observer or the victim of more things than than he is in uh, in terms of being the, he's the central character, but he's the central character in that he's the one who drifts through the story.
1: Yeah, it, exactly. It was,
0: yeah, it was really striking. So you saw it? Did you see it on its original release? Yeah. Yeah, it was. Uh, I mean, I was. I think I don't think it played TIFF. I think I saw it at a press screening in the in the summer. Maybe it was it was the memories are all mixed up in my mind because the film is as you said it creates such a state that i mean it's a perpetual winter in my head even though i'm pretty sure i saw it in the summertime it was a really strange uh landing when it came out because it is this 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 odd utterly jammushian film like it is completely within his filmography but he was just working out in the fringes of the fringes. And for yeah. him to deliver a Western with, with Johnny Depp, who at the time, I think he'd just been nominated for Gilbert Grape, but he was nowhere near the Johnny Depp that he became. Yeah. It was just this fascinating digression in itself into the Western canon.
1: Yeah. He so, called it a psychedelic Western.
0: Yeah. Which, absolutely. Yeah. Um, but how did you, I mean, were you familiar with his work? Did you, yeah. Did you know Yeah, him?
1: I saw his earlier films. And just, like, as a young person just getting into filmmaking, it was, Mm -hmm. like, that you can make a fiction film that, like, doesn't necessarily have much of a plot, you know? It's kind of, like, hip and kind of funny and like, a kind of flat way. Yeah. But, yeah, it's that kind of, like, the fact that there's not that much happening, that it's more like it's an atmosphere that draws you in and, like, a feeling, you know?
0: Yeah. And over two hours, it really does sort of lull you. Yeah. The, um, I mean, that became his thing, really, in a way, is the, the movie that is a guide to itself, it's sort of like Ghost Dog is, all about the driving sequences, and, well, I get Night on Earth is all about the driving sequences, but, but each film he's, he's made, I haven't seen The Dead Don't Die, which, uh, at the time of this recording, just premiered at Cannes, uh, and is coming out in June, I think, in, in North America, each film he made seemed like an argument with the last one, in a weird way. <laughs> it's just, well, if you thought, you know if you thought Permanent Vacation was slow, here, you know, enjoy Stranger in the Paradise. <laughs> yeah. Unless I mix those up. But it still provides such pleasure. And to the point where just you know, the last film he made, Patterson, is exquisite in its stillness. It really actively tells you to sit and watch this guy mm-hmm. and watch him watch things. And I can understand why that might send people running out of the room screaming, but I've I just found it rapturous. Yeah. And and Dead Man has the same effect. You're just as bewildered and disconnected as, as Depp is. And um, it doesn't matter if you care about whether, or rather, it doesn't matter if the film has a direction. The whole point is the meandering. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Beyond Depth, though, it's got this amazing supporting cast of faces, just people who wander in front of the camera. Or it feels like he's caught them, and we know who they are, and they're yeah. all their existing um, persona and people. But I, I just, yeah, I, I almost want to just read off the cast list because that would be the only way <laughs> yeah. to explain it. But it's
1: like Robert Mitchum apparently was his last role, right, with yeah. the shotgun as Mr. Dickinson with the stuffed bear. Just hilarious And Iggy Pop With the baby bonnet
0: Yeah Which I'm (laughs) sure He brought with him It's just one of those things Where there's no question That that was a choice That wasn't Jarmusch's That it was Like that was something That Iggy Pop Wanted to do And maybe For decades Because I could see him Trying to sneak baby bonnets Into stuff Yeah Beforehand But yeah It just keeps Finding new ways To interpret And in the black and white Of it too These beautiful Lined faces of, Of craggy old actors, yeah, and um, just the way that that Jermisch wants us to savor them, I guess, the way he does. He's he's such a fascinating filmmaker. We've uh, I've never had the chance to talk to him, but I I feel like I know him through his films, really, and through his interviews with other people. There's there's just this commonality of of perspective, this thing he does that really nobody else does, and people have tried and and kind of whiffed it. Yeah, but. Just the idea that he could, um, well, just the idea that he could make a film for, for Miramax and, and keep it the way he wanted it, there's no alterations, there are no stories of it being recut. I think he owns all his own negatives, that's one of the deals he made. Wow. Well, but he's just managed to perfect himself as this avatar of New York cool yeah. over the over the decades to the point where, yeah, of course he made this psychedelic western in 1995 in black and white with a bunch of his friends and the guy who would become one of the biggest stars in the world he just what what else was he going to do he he had to do this
1: yeah also um you know the character is called William Blake and the poetry of William Blake is kind of at the core of the film Mm -hmm. And Blake's poetry was, like, a huge kind of revelation for me. It was one of those life-changing things that, like, I did a course on romantic poetry, and I remember the day we studied Blake, I, like, sat there at the end of the class after everybody left looking at the blackboard, and I said to the teacher, like, this could change your life. And he was like, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I just made this film Gift, inspired by the book The Gift by Lewis Hyde, and it's about how art comes to us as a gift and can be kind of transformative and wake up our own gifts. And that's kind of, like, one of the things... Blake is, like, one of those things that came to me. And so the kind of, like, you know, the bittersweet kind of existentialist, like, deep questions of what is life about, you know? they kind of riff on that. And the joke is that, like, Johnny Depp plays this character called William Blake, but, you know, when he meets Xavier, Gary Farmer, Gary Farmer's like, William Blake, I love your poetry! And Johnny Depp doesn't know what he's talking about, right? So it's, like, playing on this whole theme and then he kind of like, you know, as he drifts through the movie, he kind of gets closer to I don't yeah, know, the core of the, the poetry.
0: Truth's at yeah. the heart of it. It's and it's perfectly reasonable that he wouldn't know who William Blake is, which I love. It's like the idea now of, of making a film where people don't know something so central to them and it's impossible to conceive of it, what, twenty years up down the road, that we live in there was a time not so long ago when if you didn't know something it was a chore to find out what it was <laughs> and then to roll it back even further to the 1800s where these characters are well yeah i know if he didn't know about the book he wouldn't know at it all it's it's a it's an isolation that we can't conceive of yeah and the the whole movie is about how isolated this blake is from the, everything else not just from his own namesake but from the people around him from the culture he's inside he's i, I I know Depp has become problematic now and thinking about the films he's made where he does this thing where he is a blank and channels mm-hmm. the audience. Yeah. It's such an amazing ability and now it seems like it's wasted on a guy who didn't deserve it. But we're still kind of wrestling with this this whole idea of, you know, what can you keep and what can you throw away from people who outed themselves as garbage people? And, and I'm really mad at him because he's... He's tainted this film somehow in a way. In my memory, it's just like, yeah, but that was Johnny Depp. Do I really want to look at him for two hours? He's I'm kind of off him right now. What did yeah. he do? Oh, uh, well, i Amber heard uh, alleged um, spousal abuse and and a few other ugly things. And given that his history, he's he's countersued in, in the divorce and has has protested his innocence, but you know conveniently the the Winona Ryder stuff happened before the internet so nobody remembers it who wasn't around
1: uh-huh.
0: but he trashed hotel rooms and he was not the nicest person to right. her. I think that's not actionable I think that's public record um, and yeah I'm not again he's not the worst offender in the Me Too age but it's hard to separate right now uh, especially since he continues to um, uh, besmirch Herd's reputation in, in response and also just he's become a far less interesting actor and person yeah, over the definitely. last 15 years yeah
1: after Pirates of the Caribbean it's kind of <laughs> I know right never really that interesting after he's that he's sort of
0: I wish I could remember who said it because it's beautiful but someone says he's basically just become a sentient collection of scarves at this point <laughs> and that would be nice because scarves are soft and they don't hit people but um Ah, a
1: it's a bit like Robert De Niro, no? It's like they kind of become... It's like he's playing a cartoon of himself or something.
0: Yeah. De Niro, though, at least you feel like he's in on the joke. When he does it in the Meet the Parents movies and, and analyze this, uh, he's sort of using his history against himself in a fun way, although he's also taking a lot of paycheck roles. Uh, but also, De Niro seems like a perfectly decent person, so there's a, there's a that veneer doesn't get shattered the way it did for me in depth. But with, with Dead Man, it's a performance that works, uh, because you see him doing the thing he does best, which is serve a filmmaker uh, artistically, and and i now I'm back to admiring the performance again. But yeah, he's perfect for this role. You can't imagine anybody else playing the part, mm-hmm. um, and that's really frustrating. Uh, because now I, I, you know, when I revisit it, it's just like oh, but he's the whole movie. He's the whole film.
1: No, well, I mean, he, Gary yeah. pa- Gary, Farmer. Gary Farmer is he's absolutely
0: a... the way to save this. Yeah.
1: yeah, he almost kind of steals the show. From I me.
0: mean, yeah, I mean, he's clearly the, the character with the most, um, the most sympathetic. Uh, oh, that's not right. He's clearly the character for whom the film has the most sympathy. Yeah, Jarmusch uh, wants us to, to stick around. Yeah. because of him and see what's going on, and we, I think, we get to adopt his perspective, pretty like pretty quickly, really, because yeah. we're introduced with our guide, who's the. The useless white man and then it flips to the person who we really should be whose story it really is the person we should be following all along yeah and and farmer is again someone i've never met but somebody I've, whose career i've just admired for decades now he's such a he is such a wonderful presence he's still turning up and stuff isn't he i think i just saw him in something
1: i haven't seen him pop was... up for a long time I, I was wondering about that actually i thought some,
0: I'm getting, You know what, I'm going to look it up because otherwise I'll sound like an idiot, but yeah. I think he's in a CBC series.
1: But yeah, the whole joke of like the stupid white man, you know, mm-hmm. and through the film it's like not just Johnny Depp, but all the white people are kind of the savages, you yeah. know, and I love that kind of conceit, like turning the Western upside down.
0: The swagger of uh, of colonialism getting turned on its head.
1: Yeah, but the guys that are, like, eating each other, like, you know, there's the guy who, like, (laughs) one of the assassins likes to eat his victims. (laughs)
0: Sure. It's the Donner thing. (laughs) Ah, here, I looked it up. He was in Longmire uh, fairly recently. And yes, I did know this. He's going to be in uh, Blood Quantum. Oh, wow. In Jeff Barnaby's new film, which is a... It's an indigenous zombie movie yeah, Where I yeah. believe the white characters are zombies And the people on the res Are the ones fighting them off Yeah, so, that's been
1: in the works for a long time
0: Yeah, Gary Farmer fighting zombies nice. I'm so there <laughs> uh, But it's It's this strange You know, Leonard Cohen afterworld Wasn't that the title of something that A movie that never got made Yeah. That the people like, but this feels like that Totally The McCabe and Mrs. Miller echoes And the sense of the West as unforgiving and and not hostile necessarily, but indifferent. The yeah. the landscape that consumes and resists any attempt to tame it. Um, it's funny. Uh, Tommy Lee Jones brought it up, Dead Man, uh, in a conversation we had about The Homesman, uh, his his western with Hilary Swank and and a few other people and himself um, that he directed, and it was the the alien nature of it, the way that it's much more um deliberately beautiful in the homescreen I mean, because there's digital color tools used to to really enhance the landscape and make it look almost like another planet but the the sense that you do whatever you want the world doesn't care and the way that Blake is sort of rebuffed wherever he goes and just pushed on his way i don't know I, I, to my mind this whole movie just feels like a long drift through mm-hmm. that sort of landscape
1: and it's also like it's the ineptness of civilization, right? It's like he comes from this Victorian, like he comes from the city and he has yeah. the spectacles and he's an accountant and he yeah. represents everything that's kind of like straight lines and dotting your I's and your Ts. Yeah, and that
0: fussy gentility that he Exactly. Did so well.
1: Which is why he's completely lost in the world of the wild.
0: Yeah. The um the sense too that the movie is actively conspiring against him as yeah. well starts to I mean, that's that thing Drummish does where he just lets you live with people long enough that you get irritated with them a little bit, too. I think about Ghost Dog, keeps coming up in my mind, because they're, they're very similar to me, except that in Ghost Dog, nobody leaves. Like, Whitaker's always in the same... He's always driving around the same five or six blocks, mm. and it's his own obsessions that keep him there. Yeah. And Blake is trying desperately not to be wherever he is at any given moment, just because it's wrong, and he knows it. He shouldn't be there. Yeah. But they're both about trapping us in their space with them, mm. and... Just watching them squirm, I think, because yeah. the task they need to do can't be done. So the appeal there for you is,
1: <laughs> is yeah,
0: I'm trying to connect it back to gift, and it's it's not really working. Very... Uh, well,
1: definitely, there's something about the spaciousness, right? It's kind of like you know gift is a documentary but it's observational and it has that kind of contemplative thing and it's like something that's like meditative that gives us the space to kind of sink into it and dream a bit you know like yeah. that's the psychedelic quality of it it's it's dreamy um, yeah. And I think it's like you know it takes it. You have to be bold to make a movie that's slow, and you know, gift is is that way. And like sometimes I'm like, oh my god, it's so slow. But <laughs> you know, like people people who get it, you know, and who are really moved by it, it's like that's it's it's done deliberately because there's this this idea that the gift moves towards the empty place, so we have to create the space in ourselves to receive it, right? Yeah. So to do something that's meditative like that, it's like you have to ask the audience to kind of trust and go with it. And the beginning of Dead Man is, you know, the scene on the train, it's like it's very slow, right? It's just like it kind of goes on and on and you're kind of like, what's happening here? And in the age of Netflix and watching things on your TV, it's like it's it's a different thing than having a captive audience in a cinema. You know, sure. it's like it's one of those movies that's like made for the big screen and you have to kind of trust and go with it and sink into it. You know?
0: Yeah. Well, it's, I always thought that with Dead Man, he was sort of trying to adjust us to the rhythms of the age, the fact that things did take a very long time. Uh, It's something that I think, for a really left-field comparison in terms of westerns, I think Deadwood picked up on that. Just the sense that every episode took place over the course of a day, but you would feel the weight of the hours, because sometimes there's really just nothing to do but sit and wait for the next thing to happen. Uh Deadman kind of has that pace as well. It's very... It's not lazy, but it's... Deliberate. Yeah. In a way that really like immediately tells you this is the kind of film it's going to be. And if you're not into it, I don't know. It's probably a cowboy movie. Like a real cowboy movie in, in air quotes that you might enjoy more. Yeah. But how do you again, how do you sell something like this? It, it's yeah, it's what you said. You just have to put the art out into the world and let it find people. Or let yeah. find people. Let people find it.
1: Yeah, and I think there's also something about, like, filming the invisible. Like, there's some kind of, like, presence of the spirit world or something else, you know? It's like he's in this state as he goes through the film where he's, like, kind of, he's on the verge of death, right? So he's starting to kind of hallucinate and he's starting to see things a bit differently. And it's like, how do you do that without special effects or yeah. anything fancy, but, like, suggesting, just creating that, like, kind of feeling of an other world or an altered state.
0: Yeah. You know? I mean, it's almost simple in some cases as the choice of lens, right, to just create a slightly enhanced image. Yeah. But, yeah, even the choices to frame more space around him or less space, depending on the moment, and give us a sense that, yeah, there's something else going on that we can't see literally outside the frame. Yeah. just Just hovering the sound design is part of that too I think it's it's a very like it's a surprisingly active sound design for some for a film as simple as this
1: mm-hmm. and the great soundtrack by Neil Young right yes. which apparently a lot of it was improvised he was just like jamming to the picture I and... can
0: see that didn't they have um no I'm, I'm thinking of Jennifer beewald getting um, Fred frith to um, to sort of noodle along in act of God and just demonstrate he, he's playing if i remember this correctly he's playing kind of a free jazz thing she's gonna kill me i'm getting this wrong uh he's playing free jazz while they're doing an mri of his brain um it's something that allows the computers to translate his his brain firing along and we sort of see it match up with the music once or twice and it's just oh that's what creation is that's what it looks like and Neil Young, I'm sure, would not allow himself to be strapped into anything for these purposes, but I'd love to know how his head works. Because <laughs> there are turns and twists and, and and little flourishes here and there that are just, yeah, they're wrong for the Western, but they're right for this movie. Mm-hmm. In a way that I think that's what Jarmusch does. He creates the space where, you know, like Only Lovers Left Alive being the worst kind of vampire movie to people who want vampires to be all jumping up and down, biting and flying and and sexy-making, and it's really just, no, it's what an addiction would look like if it never stopped and you had all the time in the world. You'd be really bored.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and the music also kind of drifts, right? And it's like Neil Young has that, like, has the balls to not do very much, right? It's like there isn't very much melody, it's like, it's just kind of like, the music just kind of hangs out, right? Yeah. That's why he's kind of like the godfather of grunge.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's just notes sometimes. Yeah. Really simply... This one, then that one, then I wish I was musical. Uh, A <laughs> I can't get that right. This one and that one. <laughs> yeah, but it, but it is. like It's just so strange and haunting. And it's one of those soundtracks that only works on its own if you've seen the film. Otherwise, it does sound like... I think... No. No, that couldn't have been Dead Man. There's another film. Um, maybe it's Night on Earth. Where I heard the music before I saw the film. And thought oh I guess that'll make sense like, that's just where I, my head went was no that'll make sense in the movie it just doesn't stand alone is it not on Earth? it might be not on Earth. but it was a fascinating experience to see the film a friend played the CD basically um, and then I saw the movie and it's like oh cool I get it but it, it's again it's his it's germish trusting that all the pieces will work so he makes the film before he shows it to Young and then Young fills in the blanks and they're the, exactly the blanks that he needs because he's Jarmusch knows he can trust Neil Young. But yeah. just the idea that you're making all these leaps of faith and then it turns into a movie instead of some ideas for a movie. Did, did you see The Limits of Control? Uh, no. Yeah, that's the one where you can feel the opposite effect, where he trusted everyone that it and, and figured... Not trust that makes it sound like I'm not blaming Jarmish, but he had an idea that either he couldn't successfully communicate or he couldn't successfully put together. And it's just this really strange, self-indulgent, beautiful, but empty story about a man wandering around Europe looking for a thing and doing the same thing in every city. And you, uh-huh. you can fill in the, the mechanics of the story if you want to, if you if you try hard enough. I, I'm pretty sure it's a story about an angry Terminator being sent to kill Dick Cheney. Um, but it's, it's very clearly an anti-Bush thing that only works if you're Jim Jarmusch. Otherwise, you have these pleasant scenes that don't go anywhere and these interesting shots that are individually beautiful but ultimately repetitive in a way that doesn't serve the story. And it's just, it's sort of proof that the magic doesn't always work, but it makes the successes far more special.
1: Yeah, I think he kind of lost me at, was it Broken Flowers? Ooh. It was Bill Murray? I kind of like that one. It was okay, but. I don't know if I saw any after that. I was kind Uh, of like...
0: It's very much a guy's movie, too. You know, the idea that you can live your whole life and be Bill Murray. And then, (laughs) you know, wander back and be forgiven by all the women you've wronged. It's definitely a a dude film. Uh, What else was there after Broken Flowers? Limits of Control and and, uh, Only Lovers. There's a documentary in there somewhere, I think. But he... And then Patterson, which just felt so much like the work of the young jarmish just the maybe that's it maybe he had to cast it all aside and then settle into it again and do the thing he used to do which is just simple observational uncomplicated mm. beauty. uh and and the love of individuals just the sense that you know we don't know who this guy is but we'll find out if you stick around there's more to there's more to learn there's more to see um, the lesson of dead men is that he should be seeing and learning more, and he's not. Or you know, it isn't until he's willing to sort of accept that he's not in control. Yeah. That he becomes an interesting character.
1: Yeah. Yeah, but exactly, the whole thing is kind of like a fail, <laughs> right? Mm.
0: <laughs>
1: Which is also kind of interesting.
0: Yeah, it works for us, but not for him. Yeah. Um, and we're just on. We're perpetually on the outside, waiting for Farmer to just sort of push him into the water. (laughs) Come on, you got stuff to do. Go home.
1: Yeah. When's he gonna lose patience?
0: Yeah. And it's that investigation of the Western, the thing that almost never happens or if it does, it is, you know, you're you're hanging a lantern on it and showing us how progressive and intelligent your characters are. This movie doesn't do that, which I really admire. Yeah. It again, it's about trust. He's trusting us to figure out what our perspective should should be and what his perspective is.
1: Yeah, but there's always this sense of the absurd and kind of like the joke within it, right? Yeah, I guess
0: that's the way in for us. Right? Yeah. Because we are encouraged to laugh or at least smile at, at how ridiculous this guy is. Yeah. And, uh, and watch him be complicit in his own destruction just because he doesn't ask questions. He doesn't take it in. He's, he's yeah, it's, that, it's literal colonialism, right? He's trying to bring England with him. He's trying to bring the world to the west and the west they don't need it doesn't want it um everything goes wrong
1: yeah and they're all kind of losers right it's like the bounty hunters that all want to like destroy each other and and even the gary farmer character who's saying that you know he's kind of a drifter and an outsider from his people Mm -hmm. because he was sent overseas to england and he came back and no one really wanted to listen to him so yeah maybe he can kind of relate to the the drifter and William Blake
0: he could if you wanted like, <laughs> if you tried
1: yeah yeah oh,
0: it's such an odd little world but it is it's so nice to visit there's just I feel like there isn't that much to say about it right I mean I'm wondering how people listening to this who've never seen it will, will take this episode to which I will say go see Dead Man it's it's very good There's an excellent uh, Criterion Edition out there. I'll I'll put all this at the end. But, yeah, how would you describe it to someone if you were trying to sell it for the first time? Someone who'd never seen it.
1: Well, I love the description. of like a psychedelic western, it's an acid western, and it's like a dreamy, poetic, kind of surreal um, journey. Mm Yeah.
0: I, I did tell someone once i mean i used the dances with wolves comparison a few times because it was easy everyone knew what dances with wolves was so this is stands in opposition but there's another one an alex cox film called straight to hell from i want to say 1987 it was sort of a cult film at the time and then it went away because the rights disappeared and it disappeared from distribution but now it's back in the world and it's the anti-dead man in that it's loud and busy and the music is punkier and, and Elvis Costello and the Pogues are in it. It's, it's that kind of film. The attitude instantly makes sense. But if you put that one and Dead Man together, you sort of get the whole spectrum of indie cinema, the way it looked at the Western. The only other one I can think of, I think Penelope Spears made a movie called Dudes around 1986 or 87 with John Cryer. That sort of a modern Western thing, that doesn't it doesn't really work. But there's a reason the Westerns all went commercial in the 80s and 90s. There there was no way to treat them independently without spending a fortune. Oh, you know what the other one was? Uh, the Battle of Little Joe, um, which was about a, I mean, it was a, sort of the first trans-Western, if I, if I remember correctly. I don't mm-hmm. think there was another one around. Um,
1: There's also the, what is it, The Assassination of Jesse James? Oh, yeah,
0: but that came decade later. Yeah. That's like 2007, maybe? Um, but no, Little Joe was, I want to say, 92, and Susie Amos plays a, a woman who just changed herself completely, scarred her face, and went into the world as a man, and, and was a... I mean, it's basically the same story, uh, unfortunately, as Boys Don't Cry uh, a few years later. so it And it kind of disappeared just because it was released at a point in time where... I don't think the the audience neither the audiences nor the, the distributors knew what to do with it but it's a really good movie if anybody's listening I'm pretty sure Jarmish would have seen that and Dead Man is in communication with those films mm. even though it is Jarmish's own thing very very much he's aware of all the other stuff mm. that's going on I think and, and he's he's not attacking it directly but he's sort of just nodding to it here and there there yeah. are people and characters that flow through that feel like they might have drifted in from other movies it's a very expansive vision for something so specific yeah yeah
1: hmm.
0: i guess i could try to sell people on it that way <laughs> i feel like i'm struggling um but uh as, as far as um your own experience of it um do you come back to it often do you do you uh,
1: i didn't for a long time but i just rewatched it recently
0: and how does it hold up in terms of your memory of it and
1: Yeah, I loved it. I mean, on a smaller screen, it's like it's not as easy to sink into the slowness. Sure. Yeah, yeah.
0: I wonder how that would play. I mean, I have the advantage of a fairly decent projection, but yeah, his films need to dwarf you. Like Mm. you need to surrender to the experience of them. Except for maybe Night on Earth, which kind of benefits from being all close ups because Mm. they're in a car. He he has the scope. He has a scale that yeah really invites further. Immersion, I guess that's probably why I'm like my my idea of Dead Man is just like lying down and being swaddled, you know, in a warm blanket mm-hmm. of, of movie. Which, given the kind of movie that it is, this harsh black and white trajectory, um, yeah, that's a kind of a weird feeling that that it gives me. That, but I I just I'm so eager to be back on his wavelength that I, I'm I'm. Like, he's one of those guys I root for every time out of the gate, just because I know it's going to be something interesting. Even if it isn't something that I particularly connect to, there'll be there'll be a knot, there'll be a germ, there'll be something in there that I'm going to dig at. And, uh, yeah. Dead Man is one of the reasons that I still feel that way. I just, um, when I was in London this spring, I picked up, uh, I found the Blu-ray of Permanent Vacation. Which, as far as I know, still isn't even available here, anywhere, in High definition. It's just like, oh my god, I don't think I've seen this in 25 years, but I kind of want to watch it again. This might be the only chance I get. Mm-hmm. It's... I don't do that for a lot of filmmakers. Uh, and he's, he's... Yeah, he's one of my guides. I just... I want it to work every time.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think also with the whole, like, reconciliation conversation, just, like, the white-native relationship is, like... It's, you know, it's like... Gary Farmer is, like, the funny one, the smart one. And yeah. there's also the kind of, like... There's this, like, sex scene, right, where William Blake surprises him under a blanket with his girlfriend. And, you know, just the kind of, like, yeah, the stupid white man thing. And, like, I think there's conversations in Cree and Blackfoot that, you know, aren't subtitled. And so there's this feeling that the movie is more, like, in on the joke with them than what the viewer can understand, you know?
0: Yeah, that's true. I hadn't really thought about that. But it's way ahead of that conversation. I mean, what, 95 is... Well, it's almost a quarter century. Good oh, God, <laughs> now I just feel old. But it's yeah, and it's again, it's a it's a guy from the the Bowery, yeah, making this movie, yeah, trying really hard to let other people have that spotlight and and not get in the way.
1: Yeah, and yeah, his first few movies are very white, right? It's like white guys in New York. Yeah. But then after that, he does Ghost Dog, which is like going into you know trying his hand at like the hip hop. Samurai hip hop.
0: (laughs) That's true. There's nothing else like it, really. I mean, it sort of. It's. I. I always assumed it was his response to the to the the Wu Tang Clan. Just the idea of what would that really be like? Yeah. If they, actually, supplemented the music with, samurai activity, and um, we know what it's like (laughs) now. Cartoons. There's that one movie. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It's it's this strange, fascinating, hybrid creature that also has like twenty-five minutes of driving sequences because of course it does, because that's that's where he's gonna take it. Yeah, he's such a he's had such a fascinating career and I'm really, really hoping the Dead Don't Die works. Um Word Out of Can has not been great. I'm trying really hard not to read reviews, but I've just seen some tweets from people who were there and it was like, god damn it. But we all find out in a couple of weeks. I'm still rooting for him. <laughs> Uh, so we talked about it a little bit but the, the final question on the, on the podcast is always the same which is what of dead man have you borrowed or uh, incorporated or absorbed or even just outright stolen into your own creative DNA does it show up in in your work
1: I mean I think like there's like the slowness the dreaminess the spaciousness and this idea of like filming the invisible you know the idea that there's a spirit world there's something you know, something from the realm of magic that's mm-hmm. like present that you can't, you know, you can't see visually, but it's there. Um, and, you know, just like the poetry that's at the core of it is a big inspiration. And, you know, the, it's like it works on a metaphorical level. Certain things are happening, but there's things happening underneath that you have to kind of, you have to draw your own threads of meaning.
0: Okay. And the, that sense of the ineffable, maybe something mm-hmm. that you can't capture, but you're trying to. Allude to. Yeah, or convey. Yeah. Way. I can see that. And the... Um, yeah, the... the I mean, it's It's really hard to talk about art in a way that isn't simply descriptive. Right? I and mean, that's sort of... As a filmmaker, that's your challenge as a critic. That's my challenge. But it's it's, it's a conversation that you are constantly having, I think, in the industry. Or that we are. Those of us who are trying to understand why we love the things that we love or why Mm -hmm. we see the things that we see and it's um, Dead Man is just one of those films that it's a mirror it's a river it's all the it's all the stuff I want uh, a Jim Jarmusch movie to be I want him to take me somewhere new but also show me the sights that I would have missed somehow or I guess I'm see I'm I'm actually failing at it Uh, (laughs) he he's showing us someplace we think we recognize and then reminding us why we shouldn't think we recognize it, right? Mm. Like, he's, he's confronting you with the history of the Western and the idea that America's mythology is pretty much a lie. I mean, certainly as it comes to the frontier, as it comes to Manifest Destiny in the West, that's, that's just something everybody writes after the fact too, to rationalize the horrible things that were necessary to become America. Mm-hmm. And the film looks pretty clearly at a lot of that. And it gives us it gives us a way in through through Farmer that that undermines the ostensible hero and you know, he's out of his time, he's out of his place, he shouldn't be there. Yeah. And look what happens.
1: And also, it's interesting that it's a Western, but that the place he arrives, it's called Machine, right? And it's like, there's this factory, it's this weird Mm -hmm. industrial environment, and then there's the room with, like, the accountants, the bookkeepers, right, where he's supposed to have a job. So, I mean, William Blake's poetry was totally out of that, the age when industry came into itself, and it's kind of, the world totally changed, and so after that, he's kind of wandering in the wilderness, which is a forest, right? And usually a Western is more like in the desert. Yeah. But he's bringing in the kind lands of... mountains and plains. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And this film is much more lush. There's still life there. Yeah. So is that before the America? Is it because America hasn't yet chewed through it? Or is it simply what's available if you look? Okay, that, that's the... What, what, is, what do we see that Blake doesn't? And how can we perceive it these are mushy questions I <laughs> yeah. Apologize.
1: yeah i mean the place where he ends up you know they bring him to this village at the end and it's definitely like i recognize the art of the pacific northwest so i don't know where it's supposed to be set like maybe it's a dream place
0: yeah or he gets to oregon Oregon's <laughs> yeah. <nice.
1: laughs> but yeah
0: it's far more likely that it's an idealized fantasy on someone's part yeah. whether it's the filmmakers or, or blake's or or anybody else's. Yeah, I don't know. It's a. It's one of those things where it's probably not possible to get there. Certainly, it isn't now. But it's one of those things where you just have to accept the leap that the film is taking. Yeah. And it, I never even questioned it until you mentioned. It. Yeah. It's just like you're right. That shouldn't work. But that's uh, that's what he does. He casts that spell. Yeah. My thanks to Robin McKenna, whose new documentary Gift is on screen right now at the Carlton Cinema in Toronto and playing at the Sunrise Film Festival in River John, Nova Scotia on May 30th. Thanks also to Robin Mogul. She knows what she did. Robin McKenna isn't on Twitter, but you can follow Gift through its distributor, Cinema Politica, at Cinema Politica, all one word. And you can find Dead Man on Blu-ray and DVD in an excellent special edition from the Criterion Collection, and it's also streaming on the Criterion channel with all of its supplements. It's also on iTunes and Google Play. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Norm Wilner and elsewhere on the internet at NowToronto.com. You can also find this podcast on Twitter at Semcast, cast and on the web at SomeoneElsesMovie.com. If you feel like leaving a review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts or wherever you enjoy the show, that would be greatly appreciated. Every little bit helps. It truly does. Thanks for your support, and thanks for listening.